to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I am reading today from the final section of Alexandra Kolontai's short story, The Loves of Three Generations. So where we left off in the last episode, just to quickly give you a previously on AK-47, is that this woman, Olga Sergeyevna, is telling the narrator, who we presume is Alexandra Kolontai herself, about a situation where her younger husband is sleeping with her 20-year-old daughter from a previous marriage. So essentially, her daughter is sleeping with her stepfather. And what's really kind of interesting about this whole discussion, as far as Olga Sergeyevna is concerned, the woman whose daughter is sleeping with her husband, is that they don't seem to think it's a big deal. They actually seem completely fine with it. Like, they're just having sex. It's not a big deal. Why are you getting so worked up about it? And of course, Olga Sergeyevna comes to the Kolontai character in the story to basically ask, well, am I being old-fashioned? Am I being a bit of a fuddy-duddy? Like, or is there actually something kind of unseemly about this? I don't know. And she's looking for advice. So this is the final installment of The Loves of Three Generations by Alexandra Kolontai. What I find most painful about the whole thing, said Olga Sergeyevna, wearily leaning on an arm in a gesture which reminded me of her mother, is that they're so totally cold and rational, like two old people with no emotion left. I could understand it if Genya loved Andre and he loved her, and even if it did make me unhappy, because I do love Andre very much, you know, I wouldn't have this unpleasant taste in my mouth, this feeling of physical nausea. To put it quite bluntly, I have grown very hostile towards Andre and Genya. I cannot understand how they could have treated me so unscrupulously, with so little regard for my feelings and reactions. Do you know it's shaken my faith as to whether these two people are capable of loving at all? They both keep telling me that they love me, but what do they mean by love when they cause me so much unhappiness and inflict it so casually too, without any qualms or remorse? I really think they must be emotionally deficient in some way. I don't understand either of them. Once I couldn't help reproaching Genya, and she just retorted, Well, didn't you conceal your relationship with my father from his wife? Didn't you lie too? But then surely that's the whole point. There's an enormous difference there that Genya can't grasp and won't understand. First of all, I never loved M's wife, who was like a total stranger to me. I never had any deep feelings for her, and I only spared her the truth for humane reasons. Secondly, I loved M, loved him passionately, no less than his wife did, if not more. Our feelings gave us both equal rights over him, and my justification then was the power of my love for him and the suffering he caused me. But in this case, you see, there's nothing. No love, no suffering, no remorse, nothing. Only a sort of icy self-confidence and an insistence on their right to seize happiness however and wherever they may find it. That's what I find so dreadful, the fact that they seem to lack any warmth or kindness, even the most rudimentary sensitivity to others. 
And yet, they call themselves communists. I couldn't help laughing at this somewhat illogical conclusion. And Olga Sergeyevna also smiled shamefacedly, admitting that this conclusion did not really follow from her previous accusations. When at last we said goodbye, we agreed that I should see Zhenya within a day or so. It was two days later in the morning that Zhenya came to see me. She worked in her district all day and in the evenings. She was a slender girl, very tall, with a lively face and a small head that reminded me of her grandmother's. She looked rather pale and had dark circles under her eyes. Her hand, when I shook it, was cold and damp, and she'd obviously not yet fully recovered from her operation. She'd had a simple and direct manner and started to speak at once. I expect the main thing that surprises you is that I sleep with men just because I like them, before I've had time to fall in love with them. But you see, you don't have any leisure in order to fall in love. I've read enough novels to know just how much time and energy it takes to fall in love, and I just don't have the time. At the moment, we've got a really enormous load of work on our hands in the district. Come to that, have we ever had any spare time over these last few years? We're constantly in a rush and our heads are always full of other things. Of course, sometimes you have periods when you're less busy and then you suddenly realize that you like someone. But as for falling in love, there's no time for that. Just as soon as you've grown really fond of each other, he'll be called to the front or shoved off to some other town. Or else you have so much work to do that you forget all about him. That's why you cherish the few hours when you can be together, and then you both enjoy it. It doesn't commit you to anything, and the only thing I'm actually afraid of is catching some venereal disease. But actually, if you look someone straight in the eye and ask him whether he's got it or not, he'll never lie to you. There was one man who liked me very much. I think he even loved me. And when I asked him, it was terribly hard for him to admit it, and I could see how upset he was. But in the end, we didn't sleep together, and he knew I would never have forgiven him if we had. Zhenya had lovely, wide-open eyes, and she gave an impression of utter directness and honesty. But tell me, comrade Zhenya, I said, if you can tell me that, how is it that you did not tell your mother everything immediately? Why did you conceal your relationship with Andre from her all these months? Well, I didn't think it concerned her, that's why. If I had fallen in love with Andre and he had loved me, then of course I would have told her all about it and I would probably just have gone out of her life. I wouldn't want to do anything to make her unhappy. But it wasn't as if there was anything that could possibly have robbed her of Andre's affections. Why doesn't she understand that? If it hadn't been me, it would only have been somebody else. And she can't really tie Andre to her apron strings or prevent him from seeing anyone else or getting involved with other women, can she? I simply can't understand her. She's not at all upset by the fact that I'm friends with Andre, that he talks to me more than to her and that he's closer to me emotionally. But as far as she's concerned, the fact that I slept with him means that I'm taking Andrea away from her. 
But mother has no time to sleep with him. It's true. She just hasn't the time. Anyway, Andre is nearer my age than mother's. We share the same taste, and really, the whole thing is so natural. But maybe, without really being aware of it, you actually have fallen in love with Andre, I interrupted her. Genia shook her head. I don't know what you mean by love, but my feelings for him aren't anything like what I understand love to be. If you love a person, then you want to be together all the time. You want to sacrifice everything for his sake. You think about him. You worry about him. But if you suggested that I set up permanently with Andre, I'd say thanks a lot, but no. Oh, he's a pleasant person, and it's nice to be with him because he's so frail and so cheerful about it, as Mother probably told you. But... I get bored if I have to spend too much time with him, and then I prefer Abrasha. Not that I love him either, I never did, although Abrasha did have some sort of hold over me. I used to be at his beck and call, and then there was nothing I could do about it. Genya frowned and thought for a bit. Then she suddenly brightened again. The thing that upsets Mother so much is that I don't love any of them and that she sees me as immoral and abnormal for someone of my age to be sleeping with men I don't love. But I think Mother is wrong and that things are much simpler and better this way. I remember how, when I was a child, Mother was always rushing between Constantine and my father, eating her heart out and tormenting herself over the whole thing. Everyone suffered. Constantine and my grandmother too. Why, even now I can hear my grandmother's voice ordering my mother to make some decision. Stop being such a coward, she used to say. You must make your choice and come to a decision. But mother was quite unable to decide, since she loved both of them and they both loved her. They were all so unhappy and made each other so wretched that they eventually started hating one another and finally parted as enemies. As for me, I don't part with anyone as an enemy. When I stop liking them, that means it's over, and that's all there is to it. Whenever someone starts to act jealously, I always remember how wretched Mother was and how jealous Constantine and my father were of each other, and I tell myself that I wouldn't go through that for anything. I don't belong to anybody, and they'll just have to accept that. But do you really mean to say that you've never loved anyone and don't love anyone now? I asked her. Quite apart from anything else, I doubt whether your definition of love is terribly plausible. It sounds as if you've got it out of books. But what makes you think that I don't love anyone, said Genya in honest amazement. What I said was that I didn't feel any love for the men I slept with. I certainly didn't say that I didn't love anyone. Would you mind if I asked who you do love then, I said. Who do I love? Why? My mother, more than anyone else in the whole world. There is nobody like my mother. In some ways, she is more important to me than Lenin himself. Anyway, she is completely special, and I couldn't exist without her. Her happiness means more than anything to me. And yet you've destroyed your mother's happiness and almost broken her heart. How do you reconcile that with what you've just said? Look, Genia replied thoughtfully, if I thought for one moment... If I'd known that mother would take it the way that she has and that it would make her so miserable, I expect, no, I'm sure I would never have done it. 
but I really imagined that she was above that sort of thing and that she saw things in the same way as Andre and I did and wouldn't pay much attention to it at all. Now I realize I was wrong. I feel terribly sad, much sadder than she realizes. For the first time during our conversation, the tears welled up in Genia's eyes. Much embarrassed, she wiped them away with the tips of her fingers, trying not to let me see them. I would give my life for mother, and those just aren't empty words. That's how I feel about her. She herself can tell you how much I suffered when we thought that she had caught typhus. But do you know what I find so especially painful now? I'm very, very sad for mother and furious with myself for being so foolish and for being unable to understand, anticipate, or even guess that the whole business would affect her like this. I can't think of anything now that I wouldn't give for this not to have happened. But despite all this, deep down, I feel that mother is wrong and that Andre and I are right. There must be some other interpretation of the whole thing which will make it all clear and simple and stop everyone from being so unhappy. Then we'll all be able to continue as friends and no one will despise anyone. You see, however deeply I love mother, I feel for the first time in my life that she is terribly wrong and that, oh, that's what is so painful for me. I'd always considered my mother to be utterly infallible, and now that's been shaken, and I've lost all the old faith that mother was above everything and everybody, and that she understood everything. It's dreadfully painful. I don't want to stop loving or trusting her, because how could I ever believe in other people if I did that? Oh, you can't imagine how unhappy all of this has made me, and not for the reasons that my mother thinks either. It's all so sad. Genya no longer tried to conceal the large tears that ran down her cheeks and fell onto her frayed black skirt. We talked about how best to resolve the situation. Genya had already decided to move into a hostel with some of her girlfriends and would be going there in a few days' time. She was only anxious as to how her mother and Andre would cope without her constantly being there, for the whole tedious business of seeing to the provisions rested on her. I'm quite sure that mother won't eat properly, she said disconsolately. If someone isn't there to take care of her and push food at her, she'll go the whole day without eating. And Andre's just as bad. I can't imagine how they're going to manage without me. They're both as helpless as children. Of course, I can call on them and do everything I can, but it won't be the same. I'm busy too, you know. Everything is so much simpler when you all live together. She sighed and went on talking about her mother and Andre in a sober maternal voice, as if she was dealing with children. When it was time to say goodbye, I said, I'm so glad that I shall be able to reassure your mother now about everything and tell her how much you love her. What upset her particularly was the idea that you were incapable of strong, healthy emotions and that you were too rational about things. Genia smiled. Well, she can rest easy about that, because I'm quite sure I'll get myself into some stupid scrape again because of men. I am not her daughter and my grandmother's granddaughter for nothing, after all. Anyway, there are people whom I love now, whom I love very much, other people besides mother, 
There's Lenin, for instance. Don't smile, I mean it. I love him far more than all the men I like and have slept with. I'm always beside myself for several days whenever I know I'm going to see him and hear him talk. I'd give my life for him too. And there's Comrade Gerasim. Do you know him? He's our district secretary. Now, there's a man for you. I love him too. I truly love him. And even if he's not always correct, I'll always submit to him because I know that his intentions are good. Do you remember when there was that scandal about him last year? I didn't sleep for nights. And what a fight we put up for him. I mobilized the entire district to support him. Yes, I love Gerasim, Jenny concluded with conviction as if trying to vindicate herself and her feelings. Well, I must be running off now. We've got some urgent local work to do. And now that I've been elected secretary of our cell, she said this with some pride, there's even more work to do. Oh, how good life would be if only mother could understand and accept things. She sighed again, a deep childish sigh. I'll get in touch with mother. Please do try to convince her that Andre is all hers, that I need him about as much as I need this table here. Do you think she'll understand and go on loving me? I'm so terrified of losing her love. I couldn't live without mother, without her love. It's so awful that this whole business is affecting her work too. Say what you like. I never want to fall in love like mother did. How would you ever find the time for work? It was on this note that Jenya disappeared out the door. I remained sitting where I was, wondering who was right, whose view would be taken up by the next generation, this emerging class grappling with these new ideas and feelings. Behind the door, I could hear Jenya's youthful laugh and her cheerful voice saying, well, friends, I'll see you this evening. You mustn't delay me now. I'm late as it is, and we have so much work to do. All right, well, that was the final part of Alexandra Kolontai's story, The Loves of Three Generations. I'm not going to spend any more time in this episode because we're already almost at 20 minutes, but I will launch into a discussion of this book when I next drop an episode of this podcast. And until then... Thank you so very much for listening and keep up the good fight.